So this is the first week of Do You Hear? And, and we're talking about that there's a, a sound, there's something that, that wants to capture our heart that's more than just the average things that you think about Christmas. Family's great, giving presents is great, you know, going to Christmas parties is great, but there's something deeper that Jesus wants to capture our hearts with. And so we're talking about these sounds kind of like that, that, that were spoken out through the Christmas story that should capture our hearts. And so we want to go deeper than just the, the, the regular, you know, lessons about Christmas. And, and it's, it's great. I love the holidays. I don't fully love spending tons of money on kids, but that's just what you do, right? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I've been captured by that materialism. But, I mean, you, everybody thinking, what a Grinch, right? Now, I do, I do love giving gifts. I just, you know. Anyway. We have a big family. When you have four kids, you don't realize when you're popping them out that like eventually they get expensive and then there's teenagers, you know, and then when they're 20, they still expect it to be just as special. We've kind of built up this magical time of the season when it's just like, guys, let's tone tone it down a little bit, but they don't want to. They're not going to tone it down. And then I've got a huge family outside of that. And so, okay, I'm I'm done complaining because I actually really do love Christmas. So let's get back to what I was going to talk about. So we're going to talk about today the sound of significance. I I feel like this is a a message that is just permeates the Christmas story throughout. And I I feel like God wants to capture our hearts, not just speaking to us and and calling us into significance, but he wants to kind of reprogram how we see other people and how our hearts are towards those that Jesus came for. And so we're going to start off with a a, a passage that is, it's it's quoted in the Bible story, but it's actually a prophecy that was written hundreds of years, I don't know, actually know how many years, but hundreds of years before Jesus came. And we know where Jesus went to be born, right? Where was he born? In the city of Bethlehem, right? When I was little, I always used Bethlehem. And I wrote, no, it's not ham, it's hem. But it's an important difference. Um, and so I want to talk about this scripture because I feel like it, it, from the very beginning, this idea of of significance and how God views significance differently than the rest of the world does is, is really powerful. So this is Micah 5.2. It says this, but you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter. Okay, now the runt of the litter is not like uh, something good, especially back in ancient days. You know, the runt was usually seen as meaningless, probably going to die. I'm the runt of the litter in my family. And if they had that viewpoint of me, it would have been a problem, right? But the, the idea is that Bethlehem, there was no expectation that anything good could come from Bethlehem. There was no, it was like that town, what good can come out of there? It's like a rinky-dink town. Actually, if you travel now, because a lot of people like want to go to Israel and they want to go see where Jesus was born, and they go to Bethlehem now and they're like, this is it. It's like the most underwhelming tourist destination, um, one of the top in the world, because it just, it's not spectacular. And so I think it's important for us to realize from the very beginning, God was up to something different. He wasn't choosing the spectacular. He wasn't choosing the, the privilege. He actually picked a town that no one ever went to and no one ever wanted to go to. Have you ever driven through a town like that? And you're like, wow, I would hate to live here. There's absolutely, like, maybe there's a Walmart and that's it, right? And you're like, this, this would be... And then you guys are like, oh man, he's so mean. I'm, I am. But, and so, how many of us know that great things, especially with God, often come from unexpected places, right? And so we read on, it says, from you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. He'll be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. 
And so we're talking about the family tree of Jesus, right? And what that means for the Messiah. And so we're talking about trees. It's a season of trees. How many people have gotten their Christmas tree already, right? So you, you have different philosophies behind the Christmas tree. And growing up for us, it was my dad was cheap, and he had a friend who ran a Christmas tree lot. And so he would go and get 50% off. And so we wouldn't even go as a family to go pick out. He would just go and come home and be like, here's the tree, kids. And we're like, cool. You know, that way it wasn't special at all. But there's some people who the Christmas tree experience is like everything, right? And it's not really Christmas unless you hunt for your Christmas tree. And see, that was what my wife said we needed to do from the very beginning. It's hunt for our Christmas tree to capture it and kill it and take it home with you. Right? And you would have to go. And, and it's almost like a, a magical experience where you would go into this Christmas tree field and you would see hundreds of Christmas trees all looking the same. But you would search for the one tree that was meant to be killed for you. And so you would go and you would find it. And this is the way it works in our family. Uh, let me show you a picture, actually. There, there's us. That looks, right? Doesn't that look like a special family? We even have our little. Wait, our, oh yeah, there's our puppy right there. I was like, where is he? He's supposed to be down there. Right, we look, we look like, and you can see me. I'm like kind of giving a fake smile because let me tell you why my fake smile is there. We were out there and we go with the Duns, Christian and Mandy and their kids, and we go searching for this Christmas tree. And honestly, every year they take forever to find the tree. But we've been getting worse and worse as our kids have gotten older. Do you know the teenagers are opinionated? That's, it's, it's something that you don't expect, but we go out there and like one of the kids, you know, you're looking for like the light shining through and you see the perfect Christmas tree that was meant to be yours. And one of our kids will be like, this is the tree. I can feel a connection to it, right? This is what's going to usher in a magical Christmas for the family. And another kid comes up to the tree and says, no, no, that sucks. We're moving on, right? And so they do that to each other. And literally every tree someone found, every tree someone found a problem with. And so we actually went through the whole field of hundreds of trees. And guess what? We couldn't agree on a tree. And so this, we went back to the, where you buy the trees and they have some cut down trees. And so we walked through the lot and we just found this one. And we're like, this is it. We're taking it home. Right? It wasn't magical at all. And then there, there are those people, you know, fake tree, fake Christmas. The artificial people. Who are, no, I'm teasing. Actually, the artificial tree, the older I get, sounds better and better. Because you don't have to plan a a day to go out and kill your tree. All you do is say, hey, family, let's gather together to the garage and take this tree out. And then there's something magical called a pre-lit tree. I didn't know about this. You don't even have to put the lights on the tree. Oh, this is incredible. Right? And, and, but we know that Jesus, you know, in the manger had a real Christmas tree. So, I mean, I'm just, you, you can do with it what you want. So we have these different traditions regarding Christmas trees, right? And then, and then what, you, what you put on the top of the tree, you put an angel or a star. How many people put an angel? Are you angel people? Okay, we got a few. How many people put a star? And how many people just like the tree naked up top? No one, okay. Because you'd be a weirdo. And so you put those up there and you sit around and maybe you have this sweet little, you know, nativity set that you put out. And you gather, you put it on your, you know, your, your bay window or you have a little ornament you hang up and it looks so pretty. Right, Because this is the thing, the story of Christmas looks so pretty and it's like rustic and, and kind of like pottery barnish. Right, Jesus was born in the pottery barn, right? not in an actual barn. And so the thing is, the story of Christmas, actually here we go, Christmas looks better from a distance. It looks better for you and I because we weren't in the story. Because the story itself was really messy. Right, here's this 
teenager who's engaged this man and she gets pregnant by God and no one believes her and she could be stoned to death and they're poor and they have to go travel miles and miles and miles through on a donkey to get to this no-name city and they can't find a place because the city is so rinky-dink. There's not really places to stay. There's no Marriott. It's like, you know, the hotel... Uh, Whatever is the worst kind of hotel that you've been in. And I can tell you, sometimes, the problem with being cheap, sometimes is it really gets you into trouble. Because I remember our daughter plays soccer and we go to tournaments and sometimes we're so far away we have to get a hotel. And so like most of the team gets like a really nice hotel, but I'm always looking for the deal. So I go on Hotwire and I find this, this one time we had to go down to like Bethesda or something like that. And I found this one. I took Cozy and Jude on. I was like, guys, this is a good hotel. And Cozy's always like, why can't we just be with the team? I was like, because we need to save money, right? That's, and so we, we literally went to a hotel that had bars on the window <laughs> and cigarette stains on the carpet and Judah was like he was probably like six and he's like I'm not gonna sleep all night long <laughs> and I was like I'm not either <laughs> this is awful right it was really scary so anyway I don't know why I told you that but that's that's something I wanted to tell you obviously so anyway you, right and then you're born you know this baby is born with farm animals surround that sounds so romantic and so beautiful but Growing up, I was a, a son of hippies, and they thought it would be really cool. We had 21 acres to have, like, a bunch of farm animals. And we actually started our own little business called the Lotjaw Farm Boys, right? That was my brothers and me. And we would sell eggs. We had chickens. But then we had goats. And goats are disgusting. And it was the littlest, it was the runt right here. It was the runt's job to go into the shed where the goats lived and to clean out all of the, you know, and so, like, it would be, I would feel like I need a gas mask to go into that place, right? And so this is the place where Jesus is being born into. And so it sounds so romantic when we talk about it, but actually it was messy. And it was hard, right? And, and, and you know, it kind, of, it kind of makes sense, right? And so you look at the stories of Luke 2 and, and Matthew 2, and you read through. But actually, do you know that the Christmas story started before that? Actually, and, and this is something that growing up, I'm somebody who loves stories, and I don't like anything boring. I get bored so easily. And see, this is Matthew 1. This is how Matthew 1 starts. Like, that is the absolute worst way to start a story. A bunch of names, had this, had that, his brothers, all these names that you can barely even pronounce. And so I, for the longest time, I would just not even read it and get to the good stuff. But do you realize there's a reason why? Matthew 1 starts with this, the family tree of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus. There's a reason why. I didn't know this until recently as I started studying it. And, and, it's, and it's actually pretty amazing. So what is this? This is the bloodline of Jesus. Now, it was important for the Jewish people because they were longing for the Messiah, right? To know where he came from. And it was important to connect the Messiah to, the, to King David. Like, that was the most important thing. If you couldn't connect him to David, you were false. You were fake. Okay? And so, back then in ancient, the ancient world, your family tree was everything. See, if you had nobility in your family tree, if you were of noble descent, then you had the whole world at your fingertips or whatever. I think that's a saying. I'm really bad at sayings, so that might be it. It might not be it. But if you didn't have anybody of nobility, nobody of privilege, then you were nothing. And you could never get past being nothing. And so here's the family tree. And it's kind of like for, for us these days, it'd be more like your resume, 
right? You would put down all the things, the great things you've accomplished because, you know, on your resume, you want to exaggerate as much as possible so you can be as impressive as possible. Like, you know, look what I've done when really it was something stupid. Anyway, am I the only one that did that? Sorry. Not that I ever have. Never mind. <laughs> I haven't made a resume in 20 years, but maybe soon. I don't know. Who knows? Um, maybe after this teaching, <laughs> that could, it could happen. <laughs> You know, or kind of like your portfolio if you're an artist or, you know, these things that you want to put out to impress people. And so it made sense that if you look mm, there, there's David right there. So, and it keeps on going down. This is the legal connection between Jesus and David so that the Jewish people could be like, okay, he's, this is one of the things, you know, there's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that Jewish people looked at for the Messiah saying, these need to line up for him to be Messiah. And so they look at this one. This is one of the biggest ones. Oh, okay. He was supposed to be of the descent of David. We got it. Okay. We're good. That's good and all. But then things get weird. And so you look at this and you're like, that's not weird. This is just a bunch of names. Well, if you actually look into it, it's confusing why they put all this stuff in here. See, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, I'm not just going on ancient world. In the ancient world, women were seen as far inferior to men. Actually, Jewish people, men, would wake up in the morning and they would thank God that they were not a Gentile, that they were not a slave, or they were a woman. Right? Can you Im- could you imagine thanking God that you weren't a woman? I mean, I've, maybe I've done it a few times when it's that time of month or whatever, but you know... But most of the time, it's offensive, right, to thank God that you're not a a woman. But in this family tree, he put it in there four times. Four women were mentioned. Okay, and and let's go on. Because there's some stuff in here. See, if you're trying to put your best foot forward, if you're trying to be impressive, there's things in this, this tree here that you would not talk about. The first one is, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, so that was a woman. But we all know Rahab was a prostitute, right? It's right there. Everybody who would read that would know it. She was a prostitute. You see, you don't really talk a whole lot about Aunt Rahab and what she did. You know, like, hey, this is the Latchaw family. And by the way, we have Aunt Rahab and she's a prostitute, right? That, that's not something that you really want to just express out there. Actually, most people and most families have secrets that they try to keep hidden, Right, but in this family tree, it's out there. Okay, so there was Rahab. Right, then there was Judah. Right, was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar or Tamar. And so that looks fine. Judah's my son. Right, I mean that's that's cool. But did you realize this is where it gets weird? There's some scandal involved because Judah was the father-in-law of Tamar, and so there was like some incest going on, and there was a bunch of controversy. In this story, right? There's brokenness. There's sexual, you know, deviance here, right? Could you imagine if a father-in-law and a daughter-in-law ran off together and, and, you know, and then this is something that Jesus came from. And then David was the father of Solomon. And they don't even, whose mother was Bathsheba. Actually, in other translations, they don't even mention Bathsheba. But they just say, the widow or actually the wife of Uriah. Now that's, okay, the widow of Uriah. Oh, she was a, you know, she was a widow and David was so kind to marry Bathsheba so that Jesus' line could be there, right? But we know the story of David and Bathsheba, right? Bathsheba went out there because she knew David was out there watching. She took a bath naked and he saw her and he wanted her, right? And they had adultery together. And then David's like, I want, I don't just want her now. I want her forever. So I want to kill 
this guy, her husband. So David was a murderer. There was adultery. This is stuff back then and even now that is not like celebrated. Okay? <laughs> David. All right, and then, and then, okay, and then there was Ruth, who's a woman, and also a foreigner. Back then, that was really bad. You wanted to be Jewish. You didn't want to be a Gentile. And actually, some people get upset about foreigners these days. I don't know why. Anyway, so Jesus' family tree was really twisted. And I think there's a reason why. I think there's a lesson from the very beginning of Matthew 1 for each one of us. And it makes sense because humanity was lost because of a tree. Could you imagine if you went, it reminds me of a story, and we're going to be talking about Adam and Eve, but this reminds me of a story. Can you imagine one day, you know, actually I like, I get up with my dog, we just have a puppy, and I get up and at 6 a.m., walk him, and then we come back in and turn on the Christmas tree lights, and no one else is there, I don't have to listen to anybody fighting, just sit down and relax, right? And so a couple years ago, this woman did this in Australia, she sat down on her Christmas tree, and can you guys see anything in that tree? Could you imagine, if you're like, hmm, that's a pretty ornament, Wait, wait, that ornament's moving? What, what is that? And so you can see this snake actually had gotten into her house and wrapped itself into the tree. And it was a tiger snake, which is one of the most venomous snakes in Australia, where every snake is venomous and deadly. And this could have killed her if it bit her. It looks so innocuous, right? It looks so peaceful and wonderful, but actually this thing could have killed her. And it brings us back to the story of Adam and Eve. We know the story, right? And we don't have to talk about it a whole lot. God created a man and woman. And he said, hey, everything I made is for you. I want you to enjoy life forever. I want you to live in joy and, and closest to me. And then the serpent came and he said, come on. Don't trust God. God doesn't have your best interest. Just trust me. And so, you know, I, I know God said you would die if you ate this fruit. But actually, it's a magical fruit that will make you feel, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go. I know, but I'm not going to go into the details. And so the snake tricked Adam and Eve and they ate. And so why am I talking about this? Because I think it goes way back to the family tree of Jesus. Because as soon as humanity disobeyed God, there is a separation. There is a, a brokenness that entered into humanity. There was a spiritual death that we all experienced. And then everybody, see, we weren't meant to die. We were meant to live forever with God. But everybody then began to die. And there was this longing, generation after generation, this longing to feel significance, this longing to feel connected, this longing to feel alive, this longing to feel known. But we are separated. And that's why Jesus came. And see, Jesus came not out of nobility, not out of privilege, not as an awesome ruler who dominated the world. He came in a way that would speak to the brokenness of humanity. He came in a way that would speak to me where I'm at. And so, Jesus' family tree was full of broken people to give all those who are broken new hope. And I think if you look at it, it's so easy for us to be our worst enemies, to say, you're nothing. There's no hope for you, Jonathan. What can you, what can you hope to accomplish in this world? And, you know, being the son, and this is not a big deal, but being the third son, and my two older brothers were, like, super awesome. My oldest brother was a rock star and kind of scary, and he was, like, famous amongst the rock star scene. And then my, my second oldest brother, his name's Jason, and he was... He had like the perfect trinity. He was really, really smart. 
he was incredibly creative, and he was really athletic. And so then there was me, and I felt useless. I felt meaningless. Actually, I hate ab workouts. Anybody else want to agree with me? See, see, there's this idea that like someday, since I was like 16, someday this will look like this. Okay? <laughs> Women, turn your head. And see, like sometimes when you look at somebody like this, and then you see get abs in six weeks, I look at that and I feel defeated. I feel like this guy is some kind of Greek god who was born this way. I will never, and it doesn't even want to make me have any hope that I ever, ever could have abs. And so then I look at this guy, and I'm like, hmm, that guy kind of looks familiar. Actually, when I was talking to my wife about this, she was like, you should just put a picture of you up there. And I'm like, are you trying to humiliate me fully and completely today? And so, like, I look at this guy, and I'm like, okay, all right, all right, buddy, right? I I see some, like, you know, dad bod, diet bod, you know, I mean, he looks pretty happy about his life. But I see this guy who's not perfect, who's not part of the elite, who's not unbelievably built, and I think, maybe if I work hard enough. No, I can never know, never, never mind. But the idea is, Jesus came not as the elite, not as, you know, coming from a family tree of perfection. He came in a way to show us, hey, even in your brokenness, even in your hopelessness, even in your twistedness, I can bring good. I can speak significance into you. I can give you hope where If he came as a ruler, as a king, if his family tree was perfect, if everything was wonderful, you know who that that would exclude? All of us. See, he came not for people. And see, this is where church has got it wrong. Because there's this inner circle and there's this outer circle. And the inner circle's like, yes, we're all great because we're loved by God, you know, and we've done everything right and perfect. That's what people think. Not many people actually believe that, but that's the impression we give as Christians. But actually, the reason why we're Christians is because we know we are so broken that we need something to save us. We need something to come and give us hope, to give us life. And so, it's incredible. Oh, here we go. And so I love this because this is a theme of the gospel throughout. This is a theme of what God has said to all of us. And this is something that Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, and we know about Paul. He's somebody who shared the gospel and started many churches, and he wrote a lot of letters, and this is a letter to one of his churches. But I just want you guys to hear this, okay? He says, instead, God chose the things of the world that I consider foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Can you imagine Rahab the prostitute? David even, the murderer, the adulterer, right? Judah and Tamar, the incestuous relationship. All of those guys, if they actually now could see, they were grafted into something incredibly beautiful because of Jesus, because of what he did. And so if you feel foolish, if you feel powerless, if you feel despised, if you feel like nothing at all, guess what? It's good news. 
Jesus is here for you. This is going to be really loud on the, on the podcast. Sorry, people. This is so exciting to me. As a result, no one could have ever boasted the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. See, Jesus came onto the scene, and he looked at the people around them that were feeling powerless, that we're feeling rejected, that we're feeling like nothing at all. And he said, I see something in you. And in fact, I know your name. And in fact, you are going to be something in my kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is not exclusive. The kingdom of God is not just for the elite. It's not just for those who have it all together. The kingdom of God is for all those who say, yes, I need you, Jesus. Help me, God. Have mercy on me, God. I need something that I cannot produce on my own. You know, and there have been times in my life where I thought, Is, does my life even matter? You know, like, like literally, like if I look inside of myself, and I know I'm in a position of leadership in a church, but sometimes deep down inside, I think, do I really have anything to offer anybody? Have you ever felt that way? Am I, am I, do I, am I even going to make a difference in this world? Is there even a purpose for me? I'm not that great. I'm not that talented. I don't have many gifts you know, I'm not that good looking, although I have a really cool haircut, you know, but I'm overcompensating for the emptiness I feel inside. That's what all pastors try to do, actually. That's why you try to look like a cool pastor, but Christians failed terribly. See, God chose the foolish things and he even grafted it into his genealogy, into his family tree, which was the loudest thing that shouted to the people of that day. And so if God can use those people, and if God can use me, then God can use you. And see, this is the thing. Jesus came to rescue everyone from insignificance. See, as soon as we, humanity, fell away from God, disobeyed God, chose to, to step, step away, there was this insignificance that came into our lives. Nothing matters. And you see that echo throughout the Bible, and especially in uh, Ecclesiastes, where Solomon, the wisest person in the world, is basically saying, hey, here's the secret to life. It's worthless. It's meaningless. Life sucks. You might as well just die. Right? That's kind of what he says. Until Jesus came, he brought us back into significance. He brought us back into purpose. He brought us back into redemption. He brought us back, and this is for every person, poor, rich, black, white, male, female. He's calling every person back. And see, Jesus, that's, I'm almost done. So the, the really incredible thing about Jesus is that he went always for the disenfranchised. He went always for the person who had already counted themselves out. He didn't go to the people who were puffing themselves up and thinking, I'm awesome, I'm something, I'm a big deal around here. He was like, I can't really use you. But this guy over here, this guy, this tax collector or this prostitute or this person with leprosy that everybody says is unclean and needs to reject, I can use these people. I've got something to offer these people. There's a space in their hearts for me. And if they invite me in, we're going to do some great things in this world. And see, there's this place in God's heart for each one of us. If we invite him in, we, not because we're awesome, and not even because you have a great haircut. It's, it's because he's got something for you. And he can take the foolish, the powerless, the despised, the nothing, and make it something. See, he came 
So I want to end with this. And we know John 3.16, but I just think it's so incredible because this is how I want to see. I want to know that I am significant because Jesus speaks significance into me. And then I can live a significant life as I follow him. And I want to have that hope for other people. I want to have that hope for the person who's broken at my work. Well, that's, I, I work at the church, so I mean, it's Christian. For the person, I want to have hope for Christian. I want to have hope for the people that I encounter who have already written themselves off. See, we need to be a church who seeks, loves, and cares for people like Jesus does every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You can take off Saturday. But we need to be after those people. Because this is the thing. If God has really made us significant, then we need to share that significance with other people. And so this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. No one need to feel separated. No one needs to feel alone and insignificant. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. What does anyone mean? That's everyone. There are people that the church has actually written off, not just our church, but we have a list. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) There are people that the church has written off, whole communities. Anyone means anyone. Anyone. And so we need to work through the hatred, prejudice, things that are in our hearts because of our culture. Anyone. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. That is not our job. That is not the job of the church. This is what our job is. He came to help to put the world right again, to make the world whole again. See, your job is to help bring people into fullness, bring people into life, bring people in. You know, there's a lot of people who are believing. Do you know that the suicide rate is at an all-time high right now? Because most people feel like life is meaningless. Most people feel like they have nothing in this world. And that's why we need to be out there saying, you know what? I was there. I know how you feel. But because of Jesus, because of his family tree, because of what he's done, we can have significance. We can experience fullness. We can experience life that actually matters, that makes a difference. You know, I don't want to live an insignificant life. And so this leads perfectly into our time of baptism because this is just a simple ritual that actually just says, you know what? Jesus is my life. I can't live life by myself. I don't want to live life by myself. I don't want to do this by myself. I need to give it all to him, even my brokenness. And this is what people are saying. They're saying here, they're demonstrating, I believe in the son of God. And so we're going to head into baptism now, but I'm going to pray for us before we do that. Jesus, thank you so much. That even from the very beginning, Matthew 1, you're showing to every person that no one is written off in your heart. That no one is excluded from your incredible love. That no one is separated from what you have done. And so Jesus, I pray that we could be vehicles of that message. That we can be vehicles of saying, hey, Jesus is here. And he loves you and he accepts you and he wants the best for you. And so God, I pray for those who are experiencing spiritual death, God. I pray that you would call them into spiritual life. And Lord, for any person in this room who has felt 
separated from you, who has felt meaningless, who has felt insignificant. We pray, God, that you could reunite us to your life for us, God, to your plan for us, God, so that we could experience the fullness of your life. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the sound of significance that is seen and heard all throughout this Christmas story. And so God, I pray that as we go through our days, we could see significance in other people and call them into something. In Jesus' name, amen.